Today's episode will be the focus on part two of family-related tax issues, specifically how the filing status can lead to different areas of filing like injured spouse and innocent spouse. Thank you for tuning in to Tax Justice Warriors. Welcome to Tax Justice Warriors, the podcast that celebrates the work of low-income taxpayer clinics, focuses on tax controversy work, and looks at related issues in tax news. I'm your host, William Schmidt, the director of the Low-Income Taxpayer Clinic at Kansas Legal Services. I'm going to start this episode with some of the coronavirus-related updates. The course I am teaching for Washburn University School of Law This week, the in-person meeting classes have been canceled, and then we are going online for next week. I believe they're going to review each at this point on a rolling basis, but it is my guess that we would be online for the rest of the semester. Tax Court has canceled the rest of the docket for the month of April. So that is the end of March, and the month of April have been canceled for tax court dockets. They do have the schedule that was set for May and midway into June. So we will see what happens for those six weeks or so of dockets with the tax court. And I do not know if they're going to add anything else to their schedule at this point. As of this recording, the ABA May meeting has not been canceled, but with the various restrictions at the different levels of government, it is still my guess that it will be canceled before too long. So I am planning to continue on with the online course at Washburn University School of Law, I will adjust accordingly that for the lecture portions of the class, that should not change terribly much, but we will see how it goes. I'm not used to teaching a class through online methods. This is, frankly, my first semester of teaching a class, but I will have to adjust and get used to it as best I can. At this point, Kansas Legal Services has not changed too much about the services we are offering, but if that changes, I will certainly mention it in my next update. Okay, so turning to family-related tax matters, to begin with, the topics are filing statuses, injured spouse, and innocent spouse, that looking at the filing status a publication that gives a great overview of what is available for filing statuses and the benefits associated with it is IRS Publication 501. The main issue is what was your marital status on December 31st? And the five different filing statuses are singled, married filing jointly, married filing separately, head of household, and qualifying widow or qualifying widower. Now, single is the easiest filing status to determine that this is someone who is unmarried or divorced 
on December 31st that they generally do not have the best tax rates. And I'm going to quickly mention head of household, that this is one that I often associate with a single parent, that a person has to have a qualifying child to claim head of household filing status, or if a person is married but has been separated from their spouse for the last six months of the year and has a qualifying child, then they could claim head of household filing status. A qualifying widow or widower, their spouse is recently deceased. I do not have the actual timing of qualifying widow or widower in front of me, but I believe it's within a year or two, and that would allow them to have the same tax rate as filing a joint return with their spouse. But the main ones I want to focus on for this episode are married filing jointly or married filing separately. That the big issue I want to point out that married filing separately will allow a person less benefits than married filing jointly, but a different way of looking at it too is that with married filing jointly, you are signing that what is submitted on your tax return is true and correct. And so it is not just for one person, but it is for the married couple submitting that information to the IRS. So if there is false information on that joint return, that could affect both of them. If there is underreporting, that could affect both of them. How the refund is treated can affect both of them. And part of this is with joint and several liability, that filing a joint return makes the parties jointly and severally liable, that if there is a liability, that the IRS can go after one or both of them for that liability. So this is certainly a consideration when it comes to spouses who are in the process of separating or getting divorced, or just in general, does a person trust their spouse or not with what they're filing? So it may be a consideration that they may not get as good of a tax treatment if they're filing a separate return, but if they do not trust their spouse or do not want to be connected with their liability, they could certainly file a separate return. If a person wants to amend their return, they can always go from filing a separate return, and by separate return, this is really any filing status beyond filing jointly, that they can go from a separate return to filing a joint return. Now, certainly, if you are amending your filing status, you want to be able to prove this to the IRS. So certainly that you are married, that that would be provable to the IRS if you are amending that way. But the IRS does not allow a couple to change from filing a joint return back to separate returns. They have that locked down. 
So certainly if the couple can prove that they are not married, then that would be one way to change having a joint return. But this can be a tricky situation when you are dealing with common law marriage states that if a couple file files a joint return at some point and then wants to change that, then it can be tricky to prove to the IRS just what kind of marital status or filing status the couple need to be treated as going forward. Okay, so to begin with, in the differences between injured spouse and innocent spouse, the injured spouse treatment is when you have a married couple, they file a joint return, that one spouse's refund is paying the other spouse's government debt. Now, this could be federal taxes, state taxes, student loans, child support, or other government debts. And if you want to see the priority, how the IRS treats a spouse's refund as paying a government debt, the priority is listed in IRS Publication 556, page 16. But normally how it is is that if you have two spouses that one has been working and would be due a refund, and the other spouse, they have a government debt, so normally the one spouse's refund is absorbed by the other spouse's government debt. But if you file Form 8379, then that instructs the government that the spouse's refund that is going to pay the debt should be diverted back to the spouse who was due that refund. So on the form, you have columns A, B, and C, Column A is how the tax return is prepared, and then columns B and C divide the marital income between the two spouses. So A equals B plus C. When you are all done, those numbers should add up, and you can file Form 8379 concurrently. You could file it separately or with an amended return. Now, it should be filed within three years of the due date of the original return or within two years of the date you paid the tax that was later offset, basically the later of the two options. Now, I don't see injured spouse too terribly often in my practice. I've only done one of them in the four years at the Kansas Legal Services Low-Income Taxpayer Clinic, but I have done innocent spouse several times. That innocent spouse is also for a couple that has filed a joint return. It is very similar sounding, but in this instance, the couple has divorced or they have a legal separation. One of the spouses has died or the couple has been separated for at least 12 months. In those instances, then it's worth looking at innocent spouse filing. And this is because the couple has a liability 
and you are wanting to show that the issues are related to completely to the other spouse or that it would be equitable to divide the debt between the two parties. So there is quite a bit of information on Innocent Spouse available, that there are different publications, forms, and instructions. To begin with, there is IRS Publication 971, completely about Innocent Spouse Relief. The forms and instructions for Innocent Spouse are Form 8857. Then if you disagree with the preliminary determination of Innocent Spouse, use Form 12509, the Statement of Disagreement. So when going through the form on the Innocent Spouse, it is a seven-page form. And there are seven parts to the form. So part one is basically a checklist on whether you should file the form or not. If you should, then in number three, you are writing down the years of tax relief you are requesting. They provide a maximum of six years. So if you're needing more than six years, you would need to file more than one form. Part two is the personal information. So you are providing information about your client and then about their spouse or former spouse. You are providing information about their marital status. So if they, if one of these spouses is deceased, then you need to provide a death certificate. If they are legally separated, the separation agreement. If they are divorced, the divorce decree. You provide information on the level of education, highest level that your client had, and was there any spousal abuse or domestic violence, and did the spouse, the client that you are working for, do they have a mental or physical health problem? So certainly you are hearing the documents that you need to provide. So if there is spousal abuse or domestic violence, you would want to have a police report. If there was one, you may want to gather statements from people who knew about the marriage. If there is a mental or physical health problem, then medical bills or a doctor's report or letter should be provided. Part three is about the related to the marriage and the couple working together to fill out the tax return. Was there agreement? Was the tax return signed by your client? If it was forged, then certainly you provide that information. How involved was your client with filling out the tax return? Were they involved in the family's finances? Did the couple take it to a tax preparer? And so on. Part four, you provide your client's current financial situation. So you are giving information about their assets, their income and expenses. Part five goes more in depth about the domestic violence or spousal abuse. 
Part 6, you provide additional information. I always find that this is good to have in your client's own words, that if they could write that, I think it is more of a compelling story. And then Part 7 is just checking if they would like a refund, if they qualify for relief, and already paid the tax. I do not see why anyone would not want to check that box and get a refund, but they do give that option. So there are four types of relief related to an innocent spouse request. Innocent spouse relief, separation of liability relief, equitable relief, and relief related to community property law. So innocent spouse relief is under Internal Revenue Code 6015B. There are five conditions required. Separation of liability relief is Internal Revenue Code Section 6015C, four conditions required. And then equitable relief, Internal Revenue Code Section 6015F, if you do not qualify for the previous relief, then there is equitable relief available. Under equitable relief, though, there are seven threshold questions, three streamlined conditions, and then seven facts and circumstances factors. So then it is certainly tricky to get equitable relief. And it is a factor in the courts that this is a bit of an uphill battle for taxpayers and their representatives that some courts treat the knowledge, certainly that if the requesting spouse for innocent spouse relief knew of the liability at the time of the tax filing, then some courts treat that as the overwhelming factor and it beats out all of the other factors. So that is certainly something to look at, that your client may not certainly win if they knew of the liability at the time of filing. There are times that innocent spouse relief can be an uphill battle. But going through the process, one would submit the innocent spouse relief. I tell clients it can be a... 10-month wait on the IRS that they can be backed up on reviewing the requests, but once they get to reviewing it, they read through your client's information that is submitted. They contact the other spouse to get their side of the story. They make a preliminary determination. If you do not like their determination, then you can use Form 12509, the Statement of Disagreement. Then they make their final determination. If you disagree with that, then you would be able to petition the tax court and certainly go through the tax court process. I have had some success with tax court, but in certainly reading in procedurally taxing and the designated orders I review for the procedurally taxing blog site from the tax court website that innocent spouse cases with tax court are not a guaranteed win. Like I was saying, if the 
knowledge factor is present, then that could mean that the taxpayer is going to lose. It certainly does depend on the court and its treatment. Innocent spouse is a rich area, and it does quite a bit depend on equity among its factors. But since I did not go through all of the the threshold questions, the conditions, and the factors for the different areas of innocent spouse relief, this is certainly an area that I will revisit in a later episode, but this is the quick survey to let you know the basics about innocent spouse relief and the other areas covered this week related to family-related tax matters. So, as we go, I will provide updates on the major coronavirus-related issues for taxes. But as things go, I hope you are doing well, that you stay safe, and that you do not have too much disruption. But overall, I thank you for tuning in to Tax Justice Warriors and that you are able to assist and provide benefit to your clients as best you can. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to Tax Justice Warriors. We have a Patreon page if you'd like to support this podcast. Providing monetary support for this podcast helps with expenses like equipment or travel to tax conferences. Supporting this podcast through Patreon comes with rewards, so check out our Patreon page. Please rate or review this podcast because positive reviews help get more people to know this podcast exists. The views expressed on this podcast are not official opinions of the IRS, the Low Income Taxpayer Clinic Program, or the employers of the people who spoke on this program. Your tax situation is unique, so do not take the statements on this program as tax or legal advice. Consult with your own tax professional to provide you with specific advice on your situation. Tune in next time on Tax Justice Warriors for another interesting tax discussion.